Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 228. You know, one of the things that my father um, always said, and which I think applies to um, many different things in life, not just cars, is do it now. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah! Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, David Swig. David, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Uh, yeah, Mark, I brought my uh, driving suit and gloves to the uh, studio this morning, so I'm, I'm ready to go. Oh, I love it when my guests come prepared. David Swig is a specialist at Bonham's Collector's Motor Cars Department. His work includes consigning and researching vintage cars and maintaining an active presence in the historic motoring scene. He's a lifelong automobile enthusiast and a regular participant in historic car activities, including circuit racing, road tours, and concours events. His father, the late California motoring pioneer Martin Swig, introduced David to his own unique version of California car culture. David consequently grew up immersed in the vintage car hobby, and he and his brother Howard organized the internationally renowned California Melee 1,000-mile historic sports car tour every April. A San Francisco native, Swig can be found racing his 1957 Monsterati Special. I hope we get to learn a little bit about that car. David, I told our listeners a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit about your history, your career, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Absolutely, and, and thank you for the introduction. Um, you know, as you um, touched upon, uh, you know, I, I would say that my passion for cars, my interest in cars, uh, very much goes back to, to my childhood with, with my father. Um, my father, Martin, was, was a car guy from, from day one, and was always involved in the retail uh, new car business here in uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. So his background was, you know, on the showroom floor, dealing with, with all sorts of brands over the course of his career, everything from Isuzu's to Ferraris. So I, I guess I sort of grew up running around a car dealership uh, when I was when I was a young kid. <laughs> what um, fun! Just a little, yeah, absolutely. My my father, just a little bit of background, um, was selling Mercedes Benz cars in, in San Francisco in the sixties. And in 1969, there was a friend of his down the street 
who had a struggling uh, Dotson dealership, which um, which my father was able to buy. The timing worked out pretty well because six months later, the 240Z came out. Oh, wow. You know, that worked out well financially, and he was able to um, acquire more um, more car franchises in the coming years. He was always a big fan of the Italian, specifically Alfa Romeo, but over the course of his career, he sold um, Alfa Romeo, Lancia, Fiat, Ferrari, pretty much all of them. Yeah. So, you know, he was really um, very much a consummate enthusiast of all different types of cars. You know, I think a lot of guys tend to focus on a particular uh, type or genre. Maybe they only like Corvettes or they only like MGTDs or whatever it is. Uh, you know, my dad was sort of off in all different directions. I mean, he liked Cadillacs, he liked Alphas, he liked Patras, um, and he'd always be dragging home uh, all sorts of interesting cars, um, you know, over the course of the years. Very cool. Yeah, we'd always have a few old old Alphas in the garage, and ultimately that led in, in the 1980s to his participation in the Mille Emilia uh, retrospective event in, in Italy, um, which became um, a real passion for him. And ultimately in 1991, that manifested itself in California as the California Mille, uh, the, the Thousand Mile Tour that my brother and I still organize to this day. And then, you know, for me, uh, just having grown up around, you know, all sorts of historic cars and always, you know, having that as my, my primary interest and passion, I thought it would be great to find a way to work with those cars on a daily basis, uh, which led me into the auction industry and to um, Bonhams just over five years ago. Um, I started with them and, and deal with all sorts of, you know, auction-related things, mostly West Coast, USA, Monterey, uh, our auction down at Quail Lodge and also the Scottsdale auctions in, in Arizona in January. So it's kind of led to a whole um, whole world and life of cars and, and quite an exciting one. Well, it sounds like it. It sounds like a dream come true in so many ways, especially for the Cars Yeah listeners. They're probably all sitting there going, oh my gosh, to have a dad that would bring home cars like that and you get to hang around them. Very fortunate indeed. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. And this is a mantra or a saying that has some relevance or meaning to your life. And it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, David, take the wheel. Sure, Mark. Well, I guess it's difficult to um, to come up with only one. But, you know, one of the things that my father um, always said, and which I think applies to um, many different things in life, not just cars, is do it now. You know, I think there's, there's a lot to be taken from that. But, you know, whether you're talking about a, a great used car that comes up for sale on Craigslist or eBay or or, um, you know, something that you need to get done during the day that, that will get you to the next step and whatever it is that you're doing, you know, get it done, do it now, because, uh, you know, good opportunities, good stuff doesn't, uh, doesn't sit around waiting for you to, uh, to make a decision. So definitely do it now is something that uh, I keep coming back to every day. And, and secondly, I would say, you know, trust your instincts because they tend to be right. You know, I've had many experiences where, um, where I have trusted them and some where I haven't that I've regretted. So, uh, you know, over the years, I would say, uh, do it now and um, and trust your gut. I think those are great, great ideas and, and inspirational quotes to share with everybody because uh, life is short. And when you have an opportunity to do something, to be uh, to put something in your garage, if there's any way you can do it, definitely do it now. Your dad was ahead of his times, kind of a play off that Nike quote, just do it. So do it now. I love that. Absolutely. Now, I know you talked about growing up in a car family, but... Can you remember a pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? Because I've had guests on the show who have family members who grew up around cars, but they have no interest in them. 
and for some reason that DNA was in them. But is there there a moment in your life you can remember? Uh, you, you know, Mark, I, I wouldn't say that there's any one particular pivotal moment because it was always something that was an interest for me from the beginning. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I learned to read sitting on my dad's lap reading Hemings Motor News, uh, you know, when I was about two. So, so you know, I, I would say it goes so far back that there was never, um, you know, never a moment when the light bulb switched on and I thought, oh, I'm a car guy, because I sort of always w- was a car guy. Uh, my first word when I was a little kid was wingo, uh, which took my uh, parents a while to figure out that that meant wheel. Uh, so it was definitely there, there from the beginning. But, you know, one, one particularly exciting moment when I was, uh, when I was a, a young guy I was about four or five years old, and I was with my dad and um, a friend of his, who I still see to this day in San Francisco, a guy named Bruce Owen, and we were up in the wine country, and we were in my dad's 1957 Alfa Romeo Giulietta Sprint Veloce Lightweight, and we were going down the road, and as I said, I was about four, and I was sitting on Bruce's lap. He was on the passenger seat, and we were probably going uh, a little bit too fast, and um, we got pulled over by a a California Highway Patrol officer, <laughs> and um, I had never been pulled over before, and I thought that this was really, um, really quite exciting. Actually, I thought it was so exciting that I lost control of my bladder and pee all over um, <laughs> Bruce's lap. Oh my god! Uh, so uh, yeah, yeah. Whenever I see Bruce to this day, he reminds me of, of that story because it certainly <laughs> stuck out in his mind. But oh, you know, gosh. that was just about the most exciting possible thing I could have imagined at four or five years old. You know, so it's definitely one that. Uh, that with me is kind of an amusing story. Oh, that's hilarious. Well, I think total immersion sounds like what your life has been about. And uh, yeah, definitely. If you're sitting on your dad's lap at two reading Hemmings, uh, yeah, total immersion is the key thing that comes to me. But that story is fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. What I'd love to do now is look at some of the roads you've driven down and, and ask you to crawl under the hood and share with us a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced in your career the most important part of this question has to do with how you overcame it, how you came out of that, and of course, what did you learn from it? Sure, Mark. You know, and I thought a lot about this question, and it struck me that you know I've been pretty fortunate in my um, in my career in the electric car auction business, just having uh, known a lot of the right people and and had a lot of exposure to all this stuff from a young age. So you know, while it's it's been a challenging job at times, you know, there, there's been uh, there's been nothing too awful. Uh, but I, I got thinking about your question, and it brought me back to the first um, real job that I had right out of college, which was not a particularly glamorous one. I worked um, for a, a good friend of my father's at his Toyota dealership in San Francisco, uh, where I was a customer relations manager for two years. And what that meant was I uh, ran a call center and um, had six young kids under me who picked up the phones, um, and I was sort of the um, the last in the chain of command there, which basically meant that I got all of the angry customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of, you know, I happened to be at Toyota, uh, this was about 2008, when there was a big uh, uh, sort of unintended acceleration scandal, oh, and everybody yeah. was worried that their uh, Priuses were going to, uh, you know, take on a life of their own and kill them the next morning. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was really a difficult time to be in that role when you had every single person in the general public who really had very little automotive understanding, if you will. Uh, you know, calling with this sort of hysteria and, and frustration over over this huge, um, you know, what was ultimately a, a PR scare against Toyota, I think. Yeah. But, you know, it was um, it was a challenging job. It was a challenging time to have to basically listen to people yell at you all day for two years. It was not a job that I ever want to do again, but I would say um, it was one that was really great work experience. 
and really, um, you know, it taught me a lot about how you deal with people, how you uh, deliver news to people, whether whether good or bad. And I remember I had a, a service manager who I um, who I uh, became quite friendly with, and uh, I often consulted with him for advice on how to handle difficult customer interactions and that sort of thing. And one of the things that he told me, which I think is also a very, very good uh, quote to live by, if you will, is that it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Um, and I've really found that to be true time and time again. Uh, that comes into play so often in the car business, whether you're talking about the, the collector car auction business and how you're describing a car or tackling a particular issue with a car or its history or anything like that. You know, so much of how people perceive you and, you know, whatever you're dealing with is, you know, comes down to your presentation and how you deliver news. And that Toyota job really, um, really brought that home for me on, on a number of occasions. Oh, I can only imagine. I was part of a company for many, many years, and we had a call center that I was responsible for. And uh, yes, when the calls would escalate, they would end up on my desk. And um, being a great listener is a key to that solution. But yes, how you say things and how you interact with the person to try to help them get through their challenge is so important. So I feel your pain. Been there, done that. Well, that's, that's right, Mark. And our, um, our, our general manager at the uh, dealership, you, you had mentioned being a great listener, which was very much what that job was about. And our general manager used to tell me that you were born with two ears and one mouth, <laughs> and you should speak accordingly to, to what God uh, uh, gave you in that regard. <laughs> I try to make that a uh, you know, recurring point. You're doing a fantastic job. It's the same with our eyes. That's why we have two eyes. So you can listen and see and observe before you say anything. So there's one of those uh, great Stephen Covey habits. I think it's habit number five, if I'm not wrong. First, listen to understand, then speak to be understood. Yes, indeed. Always try to remember that one. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those aha moments in your career. It's one of those times when the headlights come on and they kind of illuminate your way on a new idea or a direction that you have. Could you tell us the steps that you took to turn your aha moment into a success? Sure. I mentioned doing that Toyota job for a couple of years, which was really a grind and, and something that you know I dreaded going to each day. Uh, and then I was very fortunate to find myself a couple of years later um, working as a, um, a specialist for bombums in the collector car field, which was kind of always what I had in mind and, and something that I thought I'd enjoy. And, and turns out I was right, and I do enjoy it quite a bit. And I guess, you know, about a year or so into um, my job at Bonhams, I had this uh, wonderful feeling of, um, I don't know if I'd call it freedom, but, but in any case, a, a realization that I'd never have to go back to a, um, you know, a menial uh, job such as the one I had at the Toyota dealership. Uh, you know, I had this great realization that I was in a field that I actually knew something about. And, you know, being a young guy with, with my background, I had a little bit of a unique perspective on things and, and had a lot of great connections and, and um, you know, people to use as, as leverage to, to um, gain success in, in the collector auction business. And, uh, you know, that moment when I realized that, uh, you know, I was in, the, in an industry that I really, really like, in a job that I, um, you know, really found fulfilling and enjoyable and interesting was, uh, I guess that would be my aha moment. Um, you know, this wonderful feeling that, you know, I've, I've found a, a vocation that is, um, you know, actually quite fulfilling and enjoyable. You know, the realization that you don't have to go back to something uh, uh, less than that is, is really um, uh, quite a nice feeling. Absolutely. And I love that you shared that because so much of what Karja is about is just that. 
is people who've wrapped their passion into their vocation. You know what? I can work in a field that I'm really passionate about and that I love. How about proudest moments? I assume you've had many in your career over the years. Is there one in particular you could share with us that really stands out? In my, in my business career, um, you know, we, we've certainly had some, some very interesting cars that we've sold over the years. Um, you know, one that I'm particularly proud of a couple of years ago, I had consigned a um, Golf McLaren F1 GTR that we sold at our Quail Lodge auction in Monterey. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely a proud one. Uh, you know, last year being associated with the, uh, the sale of the Marinella Rosa collection and the Ferrari 250 GTO, uh, with which Bonham set a world record for a car sold at auction. Yes. Uh, you know, that was definitely an exciting thing to be a part of. On a personal level, putting aside the, uh, you know, buying and selling and the cut and thrust of, of the business side of it, um, you know, I was asked by a, a friend of mine to drive his uh, 1958 Scarab sports racing car at the Monterey um, reunion races at Laguna Seca, uh, Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca, a couple of years ago. And, and the Scarab of uh, Lancer Ventlow has always been sort of... Uh, my favorite uh, sports racing car of all oh, time, wow. and to be able to, um, yeah, to be able to drive that car and um, you know do something, drive a car that I had admired from the time I was five, six years old, hanging on the fences at uh, at Monterey, you know, wondering if I would ever get to uh, participate in, in that sort of capacity. You know, that was definitely a very proud moment for me, and I was able to win the Monterey reunion races in that car. So, um, oh my you know, gosh. on a personal note, that was uh, that was a, a proud one. Oh, gosh, I can't even imagine. I'm sitting here having been a vintage racer and raced at that track to be able to get in the car of your dreams and then go out and win. I mean, it's just like icing on top of the icing. <laughs> That's uh, sure. absolutely yep. fantastic. And those cars are so cool. Oh, the scarabs are just incredible. So, wow, what an experience. That's absolutely great. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And could you share a special memory that you had with that vehicle? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd call attention to, to two specific cars that are sort of along the, the same lines. You know, when I was a young kid, uh, 12, 13 years old, I always had a fascination with the Dobson 510. You know, I don't know what it was about the 510, but uh, it was, you know, it's sort of a cult car and something that always um, spoke to me. You know, it was always a car that, that always captured my imagination. I used to make my uh, babysitter take me up to Sears Point for the SCCA regional races back <laughs> in the mid-90s when the, the uh, Group 5, which was the uh, improved touring group, uh, had about 60 cars running, and these were old Toyota Celicas and Dotsons and Fiats and VW Golf GPIs, and, and for whatever reason, the 510 was always my favorite car in that group. So I always looked for a 510, but could never find a very good one. Finally, when I graduated college around 2006, I located a very, very good 72 uh, two-door 510 that was um, uh, up in Sacramento, and it was a car that had been done in the, the BRE Trans Am uh, paint scheme with the uh, bubble fender flares and American Racing Libra wheels, and, and looks very much like the car that John Morton won the Trans Am under 2.5 liter championship in in 1971, 1972. Nice. Um, so I was able to buy that car, which was sort of the fulfillment of, of that childhood dream, if you will. You know, the other car that, that was really my, my first really special car because I uh, had it before the 510, but very much in the same, um, in the same vein was a 1986 uh, twin cam Toyota Corolla GPS, which was a car that, that was very significant to me that I um, uh, did a lot of probably illegal things in when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. We, we won't uh, let anybody know about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, we used to go up in the, the mountain roads north of San Francisco, uh, out in the middle of the night and go as fast as we could, go drifting and, and um, you know, a lot of 
a lot of things in my high school years and the uh, and the GPS Corollas of which I had uh, uh, several over the years and and still have one and, and actually still have the uh, the Datsun 510 as well. So All right. uh, those are definitely uh, two cars that that uh, have sentimental memories for me without a doubt. Ah, oh, awesome cars and. Of course, as you may know, we've had Peter Brock from BRE uh, on the show in the past, and uh, so that's even uh, a cooler part of the history of the 510. And I got to spend a day photographing Peter's 510.zilla, which maybe you've seen that car. It's got a, a Chevrolet Corvette engine in the front of it. It's just, yep. uh, yeah, it's just insane. <laughs> Crazy car. Typical Pete, always innovating. How about a vehicle that you've let go in your past that you really wish you could have back in the garage? Well, I mean, there's there's a number of them. Um, you know, there's there's vehicles that um, you know we should have bought and didn't, and then there were vehicles that we uh, shouldn't have sold and did. Yeah, there, there's so many of them. I, it, it makes me depressed to think about all of them. But there were a couple over the years when I was younger. My father had a very special Alfa Romeo 1900. Uh, which was a 1952 uh, Milanilia Works steam car, a uh, Touring Superleggera bodied uh, car called a Corto Gara, which was actually a lightweight, short chassis Alfa 1900 that Alfa Romeo made uh, seven or eight of to compete in the uh, 52 Milanilia. Uh, my father um, was going through a time in his business where um, he, he needed to raise some funds, and he, he at the time uh, got a good offer on the car and sold it. I was, I think, 10 years old, and I didn't speak to him for a month after that. <laughs> so that was definitely one. Uh, another car that he sold in more recent years was actually the first car that I vintage race, which I'd love to have back one day, which was a 1950 Cadillac uh, Series 61 uh, two-door coupe, which was a recreation of the car that Briggs Cunningham uh, ran at Le Mans 1950 and finished 10th overall. Oh, wow. You know, not many guys can say that they um, ran their first race in a Cadillac, much less the 1950 Cadillac, but I did. And unfortunately, that car went to Europe somewhere. I think uh, last I heard it was in Holland. So one day, um, one day, if I get a bigger garage, I'll try to uh, track that one down again. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I hate to bring up those memories, but, you know, at least you got to spend some time with those vehicles. And I let a car go years ago that my son still has not forgiven me for. So you share the same uh, position with another son in the case of mine. But, you know, the things we dads do to try to improve our family's lives. Sometimes they they involve uh, letting that car go. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? And I know that the time we're recording this, the uh, California Melee is coming up as well. Yes, indeed. Uh, California Melee is coming up. It's actually our 25th anniversary. Oh, congratulations. It's going to be uh, this coming April, um, yeah, April 26th to 30th, uh, starting at the Fairmont Hotel on Nob Hill in San Francisco, as we customarily do. It's a great place and uh, certainly an institution here in San Francisco. Yep. But, yeah, back to your original question, Mark. You know, we can spend a lot of time lamenting uh, the ones that got away and the ones we uh, could have, would have, uh, should have bought. But as my father used to say and has become true for me, uh, true happiness is always just one more used car away. Uh, <laughs> so to to, um, to put off the pain of some of those cars that we did let go, I have found myself acquiring others. One that really is exciting me, I, I've always been a, a fan of, of rally racing in, in Europe in the 1970s and 1980s. Mm -hmm. And many, many years ago, uh, when my father was doing the Millennia, He'd always bring me home little model cars to play with when I was a kid. And one year, he brought me a Salido model of a Fiat 131 uh, Group 4 World Rally Championship uh, racing car. Oh. Um, and it became one of my, one of my favorite uh, cars to play with as a kid. 
So I went back to a retromobile in Paris a couple of years ago. Of course, the car my dad brought me back in 1988-89 was absolutely destroyed. And I found that model, mint in box, and I went and bought it for 10 euros. <laughs> and, you know, that was great to have that again. But then I went to the Goodwood Revival last year, and there was a real Fiat 131 Group 4 Orcs racing car from the World Rally Championship. It was actually a car that had been driven by uh, Michelle Mouton, the uh, female rallyist who, who really came to um, fame in the Group B era, driving for um, Audi and the Audi Sport Quattros. And her first works ride, actually, in uh, the World Rally Championship was with Fiat, was driving the uh, Fiat 131 uh, Mercedes. So I was able to find one of her um, ex-works rally cars, which is a very, very original, very untouched car that hadn't run in about 30 years. So that car I purchased, and I'm currently um, restoring in the UK uh, to the configuration that Michelle drove it in its last World Rally Championship event which was the uh, Tour de Course on the island of Corsica in, uh, in 1980. So a really exciting car and definitely one that um, speaks to my youth and my childhood. I was born in, in the early 80s, in 1984, so this car is just a, a few years older than me. Mm-hmm. But So that's, uh, that's all coming together right now. I was just in, in York in the UK visiting that car a couple of weeks ago and uh, very, very excited to, um, to finally get that one uh, on the road and, and get behind the wheel for the first time. What a cool big circle of life there, from a model car to the actual car, and now you're going to have it. So I can't wait to see pictures of that vehicle and see you driving it when it's all done. Fantastic. Here's a very introspective question for you. If David Swig was a car, what kind of car would he be and why? Uh, you know, it's a tough question to answer, Mark. I, I think it's just about as difficult as saying what's my favorite car. Maybe they're <laughs> one and the same. Yeah. You know, I always tell people I don't have a favorite car because there's uh, there's so many that I do like, and and uh, picking one sort of ignores uh, many many others. But you know, as I mentioned before, one car that's that's always spoken to me uh, has been the 1958 Scarab uh, Mark One sports racing car, mm-hmm. uh, specifically chassis 001, which was uh, the car that Lance Reventlow built for himself and the car that I was privileged to race at Monterey uh, in 2013. So that's one that always uh, appealed to me. You know, I, I don't know why, but I, I've always been a big fan of that particular era of sports car racing. And, um, you know, maybe there's a little bit of patriotism there. I, um, you know, always liked the idea of sort of the uh, the American hot rodders who was able to uh, uh, build a car and, and beat some of the, the finest uh, uh, that Europe had to offer, which, which Lance Reventlow certainly achieved with, with the Scarab Project. Um, you know, the only real shame with that car is that he was so focused on his Formula One program that he gave up the sports cars after 1958 and never uh, never took them to Europe. And I, I firmly believe had he taken that car to Europe, uh, he may have been able to win the 24 Hours of Le Mans. So to me, it's a car that, um, you know, really represents the best of the United States in that period. And, um, you know, I think it's a beautiful car from experience behind the wheel. It's certainly a very fast and capable car. Uh, so it's it's just about everything to me that that a racing car ought to be. So so I think I'd have to pick that one. <laughs> Very cool. Love it. Love those old scarabs. So David, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a word from our sponsor. Carpe Viem. Seize the road. It's the motto at CarpeGear.com, where you'll find the Little Red Racing Car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an international award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kid's book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves the Little Red Racing Car. 
Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Diem brand where you can find his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Diem at carpegear.com and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E, gear.com. All right, David, we're back and we're entering the last lap. This is where I fire off a series of questions and you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Sure. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Well, I would say, Mark, you know, do it because you love it and do it for the right reasons. I think there's a lot of guys who are um, getting their heads turned by some of the rising values of some of these collector cars. But, you know, ultimately, it's all about having fun with the cars. Uh, So buy what you like, you know, buy the best that you can afford, and uh, do it because you love it and and for no other reason. That's that's probably the best advice I can can give anybody in this hobby. You know, I love the fact that somebody from the auctioneer profession is saying that, because you're right, so many of us sit on the sidelines and look at the prices of some of these cars and go, God, they're just driving these cars out of reach. I'll never have one. And you wonder how much of this is speculative, people buying as investments versus are they really buying for passion. So I love that advice. It's great. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? Yeah, very simple one, Mark, and that is, um, you know, drive them um, (laughs) and and enjoy the experience. Uh, You know, we see so many cars these days that are uh, hold up in private collections and, and never get used. And, and ultimately, uh, you know, the fun with, with these cars, for me at least, um, and different people enjoy their cars in different ways. But for, for me, um, it's it's so uh, wrapped up in, in the experiences, the experiential side of, of uh, being part of the car hobby, whether that's, um, you know, going on an event like the California Melee or racing at the Monterey Historics or, or even showing a car to Concord being behind the wheel and, and enjoying the visceral sensations of whatever car it is that moves you uh, is, is really the best possible way to, to get the most out of that hobby. And, and um, you know, sharing that with your friends and, and family and children. My uh, uh, experience with my cars through my father has just been a, a wonderful thing for me. So, you know, get out and use them um, as they were intended. Another golden nugget there that you shared. I've been around so many great cars and collections and I always shake my head when I'm around a collection and you go, these cars have never gone outside versus going to a historic event where somebody's out on the track driving the cars is meant to be driven or people going on tours like what you guys put on, which I would love to participate in someday. They need to be driven, get them out. And the other part of that is when you break your cars out, you share them with other people. It's kind of like art collectors who don't have their works in museums they just kind of hide them away and and the rest of the folks uh can never see them so i think that's great as well do you have a resource that you'd like to share with the cars yeah listeners i know there are a lot of them out there with the web these days but one in particular you found really valuable uh sure well i'll give you a shameless plug uh number one for for bonhams um at bonhams.com where you can um find all of our international uh, motor car auctions and we do um we do sell a number of different uh, uh, interesting cars around the globe at a variety of different venues. So do check bonhams.com. Uh, you can find my contact details there at bonhams.com forward slash motoring. Um, and then, of course, uh, my own event, the California Melee, uh, where you can find information at www.californiamelee.com. That's California, M-I-L-L-E.com. 
two great resources. I'd encourage the listeners to go and check them out because they're great websites, uh, if not just for the eye candy that you see on these sites. And the cars that Bonhams sells at auction are truly the best of the best, just incredible. Is there a book that you could share with our listeners? I know there's so many, again, out there, but one in particular you think that they should read? Uh, well, God, that's that's a hard question, Mark. Uh, you know, I have an extensive automotive library, and I believe um, firmly that there's a lot of things that uh, can be learned in books that you can't find on uh, on the Internet or Wikipedia, and I, I really encourage people to, to buy car books and to, um, you know, consult them because there's so much wonderful history that has been written down, but but it's not on the Internet. You know, a couple of them, uh, we've been talking a little bit about the Scarab, and uh, it's out of print now, but the Preston Learner book on the Scarab cars is uh, certainly a favorite of mine. Uh, so I'd, I'd certainly encourage you to pick up a copy of that if you can find one. The uh, newest book that I've purchased, which I'm actually just sending a check off for today, is a, a fairly esoteric work, but one that's of interest to me by a guy named Willem Oostek, and that's uh, called uh, Sports Car Racing from Texas to Florida, uh, 1961 to 1963. Uh, so again, kind of a narrow subject matter, but if you're interested in American horsepower racing in that period, Willem's books are, are always really, really well done, really well researched with, with photos you're not going to find anywhere else. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to receiving that one in the mail and uh, uh, pouring over it with a uh, glass of scotch, perhaps. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, you can find links to all these resources at carsyad.com slash David Sawig. All right, David, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy. I know this is going to be a tough one for you. If you could only have one collector car in that garage of yours, but don't worry about the cost. Today I've got my bidders paddle up and I'm going to bid on whatever you want and I'm going to get it for you. What would that one vehicle be and why? Uh, well, I won't say the Scarab again. We should pick something fresh and new. Uh, you know, I, I've got a, my, my family has a collection of 25 or 30 um, interesting old cars and, um, you know, I always say there's one car that I will take to the grave with me, and I think my mother and my brother would agree, and uh, that, that's a 1959 Alfa Romeo SZ, or Sprint Segato, uh, which is the aluminum-bodied version of the uh, Giulietta. Um, and that particular car, um, I think, is, is really one of the, the, the most wonderful cars to drive and the best uh, Alfa Romeos of all time. Uh, just a lightweight, sweet, wonderful car that, uh, you know, puts a real smile on your face when you're behind the wheel, so... Uh, of all the cars in my garage, at least, um, you know, that's the one that I will uh, probably never let go of. Uh, fantastic. Gosh, what a beautiful car. I love it. Great selection as well. David, you've taken me on a great ride today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed your stories and spending some time with you today. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Alfa Romeo Sprint Zagato? Yes, of course. You know, I, I already said, you know, do it for the right reason. But I think, you know, one of the most important challenges facing um, the car hobby and the collector car hobby today is, um, you know, how we get the next generation involved. You know, I think it's so important to um, be open with our cars and with our knowledge and with our passion and, um, you know, and try to encourage young people to get involved. Uh, you know, answer their questions. You know, if you pull up to a, to a gas station on Saturday morning and there's a little kid looking at your car, you know, offer to let him sit in it because you may just make a, a future car enthusiast. And I think that that's really so important. And, um, you know, some of the most important mentors in my life have been uh, uh, older guys who, who showed me uh, uh, respect and cultivated my interest in cars as a little kid. So I would 
definitely encourage uh, all of the listeners to um, to do the same. Yes, absolutely. Spectacular advice. And uh, speaking of events, I know that you're going to be down at the La Jolla Concours uh, in a couple of weeks. I'll be down there as well so we can meet up and say hello. But that's a great example of a venue where bring your kids to these events and let them see vehicles that they never dreamed existed. I've been taking my son to car concours events and racing events and just about everything. Just ask him because I've taken him to so many since he was a little, little guy. And he, to this day, and he's 21, he said, you know, I remember that guy let me sit in his Ferrari or his Lamborghini or he took hot laps at Laguna Seca with the drivers there. So, uh, so important to involve young people in the hobby. Listeners, you can find links to everything that David has shared with us here at his show notes page on carsyad.com. Just put David into the search box and it'll pop right up. I know we mentioned it before, but I'd like to mention it again. What are the best ways for our listeners to learn more about you and the businesses you're involved in? Uh, sure. Well, uh, as I said, you can go to www.balmums.com slash motoring. Um, and to contact me directly, please feel free to email me at david.swig at bonhams.com. I can also be reached by phone at 415, area code uh, 503-3285. And the 1,000-mile uh, California MIA, what's the, the website for that again? Uh, yes, www.californiamile.com. Again, the, the California Mille is an event that pays tribute to the Italian Mille Miglia. Uh, we're going to have our 25th anniversary uh, next month in April 2015, where we'll have uh, a great selection of 70 cars and drivers from around the world uh, participating in a 1,000-mile tour of, of the back roads of Northern California. Well, fantastic, and congratulations on 25 years of that great event. Fantastic. Thank you. David, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your expertise today and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Very good, Mark. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.